We're in our series. We're actually going to be closing out our series today. Um, and this has been a great message series that we've been in for the last couple of months. We've been traveling through the epistle of James. For those of you who are maybe just joining us for the first time today, we welcome you. We're so excited that you're here. I say that so genuinely from the bottom of our heart. Uh, and you can go back and catch all the previous parts of this message series, if you'd like to, on our YouTube channel, on, on our website. Uh, but today we're going to be concluding this series. Uh, we've been in the epistle of James. We know James was the brother of our Lord, and he was writing to Jewish believers in his letter. The summary of that is that James was essentially calling the church to a higher standard. He was saying to the people of God that we need to look different than the rest of the world. It's not okay if we begin to fall into all the same types of sinful behaviors uh, and, and demonic things that the rest of the world is partaking of, that we need to model the fruits of obedience and make sure that these things are staying out of the church. And in this case, they had been creeping into the church, and so James wants to kind of run things out, but also keep things at bay in the future. How many people know whenever we look around and we see not just in culture, but even in times of the development of the body of Christ, where, where we're missing the mark or things are getting off track, where lies have begun to creep in or sinful behaviors are beginning to entangle people in their lives, it, it's very important that we combat that with a greater measure of release of truth. A greater measure of release of truth. So when things are awry, when we look around and say our community is, is falling apart or getting off course, even in the church we see people are, are mixed up, they're not living whole in their lives. Guys, we use the truth of the Word of God always, but there are times where it's like we need to flood the valley. <laughs> Let's release truth in an abundant measure about the things that are, we see happening, let's release truth, what God says, and then let's see that release of truth as we flood the valley, begin to purify the land. And I believe that God's calling his people, his bride, to be agents of that in this day. So go to your Bibles in James chapter 1. As we close out today, we will open up reading in verses 12 through 15. I don't know what translation you might have there in your lap with your Bibles. I'm going to read from the Amplified Translation so you can follow in your own version or you can look on the screen. James says, Blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God is the man who is steadfast under trial and perseveres when tempted. For when he has passed the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For temptation does not originate from God, but from our own flaws. For God cannot be tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is dragged away 
enticed and baited to commit sin by his own worldly desires, lusts, and passions. Then when the illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has ran its course, it gives birth to death. I'd like to talk to you today as we close out this series, Walk the Walk. The subject matter at hand this morning is lust. We talk to you about the subject of lust, what James is showing us it can do in our lives, how it comes to us, the way it operates to pull us in, and ultimately the destruction that it can bring. But also, of course, we discuss what the, the hope uh, and, and the promise that we can have when we rule over these things. If we're talking about the bad fruit of lust in people's lives, we can also compare that to the good fruit of self-control and purity. And how many people know the Bible calls us as children of God to live pure lives? God says that we are to be holy as He is holy. I've got good news for you that by the same grace and power that comes to us to save our, to save our spirits and bring new life to us, that same grace and that same power can enter our lives to rule over the temptations of sin and sin wreaking havoc in our lives. Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about this. He says that we can reign over sin. It says in another place that where sin abounds, grace does abound that much more. So yes, sin and temptations are wreaking havoc in people's lives all over the place all the time. But there is good news that it doesn't have to be that way. We can reign over these things where the Spirit is ruling the flesh and we can live in the fullness of the promises that God has for us by living pure and holy lives. The word lust in the Greek is formed by putting two different uh, short, thing, short words together, a prefix and a suffix, epithymos is the Greek word. It's epa, E-P-I, which means to be focused intently on something. And then thymos means a passionate desire. Oftentimes we see this referred to as lusting after something or setting the heart upon something. And the negative connotation It can mean a strong desire and intense craving for something that leads to gratifying our sensual cravings. It is a desire for the forbidden, a longing for the evil, striving for things or experiences or even people that would be against God's will for us. Now that word, to have a desire for something is actually used a couple of times in the Bible in a positive sense. It can be used in a positive connotation because, listen, God puts desires and passions inside of us. He actually creates us with this component where we have desires and passions 
But that can go two different directions. It can go in a negative direction where those passions and desires, our hearts are set upon things that are carnal, or it can go in a direction where we are desiring the things just as desperately, if not more desperately, that are in line with God's will for our lives. I want to encourage you to set your heart on the things that are in line with God's will and to develop a a, a strength, a pattern, a habit in our lives where we are denying those things that are carnal. See, the enemy recognizes that, that this component is inside of us too, and his goal is to lure people away with temptations and desires that are not in line with the will of God so that people would satisfy those desires through evil means and eventually wreak havoc in their lives. I think we live in a day, maybe you would agree with me on this, but where we look around and it seems that culture certainly encourages this, um, that people are just satisfying carnal pleasures everywhere, at every turn, all of the time. Culture in the world feeds us ideology or philosophy that says that you deserve to be happy. If you want it, then you should have it, right? That's that's the pervading mentality and we look around and unfortunately even in the church many cases we see people that they cannot there's no strength in them to say no to or resist any type of temptation anywhere it's like they're just giving themselves anything that their flesh desires or wants Hmm. the power of a craving I've seen this particular one, lust, probably as much if not more than almost anything else, um, destroy way more than I, I wish I had seen multitudes and multitudes of families and even multitudes of what we thought were strong men or women. This one gets in and begins to wreak havoc in so many people's lives. Peter says that when we come to Christ, something should change. He says we should no longer conform to the lusts and passions that we were once used to satisfying ourselves with. He says there's a shift that needs to take place. Where we begin to say, my, my passions and my desires are going to be aimed and directed, to set my heart upon passionately and devotedly those things which God would want for me and for my life. And to reject and forsake those things that Scripture makes abundantly clear are unhealthy for my soul and unhealthy for me and my walk with God. The Lord even says it in Deuteronomy. He says, I put before you both life and death, blessing and cursing. Now listen, he says, and as for you, you should choose life. Does that make sense? It's like God's saying, look, there is evil in this world. 
And I'm putting before you a path that can lead you to live above and reign over those temptations and those things that are going to pull at you. But if you choose to satisfy and give yourself those things, then there's a path of death and destruction that awaits you. God's making it clear. He's saying we need to be aware of this and let it be known. There is a path before each of us. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. And the Lord is saying, my encouragement to you is choose life. And if you do, I will walk with you. I will assist you and I will strengthen you to continue to walk out that path for all of your days. So ask yourself this question this morning. I think it would be good for us all to ask this question. Am I being led in my life by unhealthy temptations? Am I used to satisfying and gratifying carnal desires whenever they come? Or am I living in a way that is denying those things when the temptation is there? And James paints this picture. I like the way he describes it. He says it's like there's temptation and the enemy's trying to use that to pull us in. And then when the temptation is given attention, it gives birth to sin. And then when sin is embraced and walked out, it leads to destruction. It's almost like this picture of a trap that's being set. And there are stages to the progression of this trap that the enemy is laying out before us. I'd like to explain it that way and get you to think about it in that context. There's a trap out there that's being set. And we can walk right into it and become ensnared, or we could see it for what it is and we can avoid it and resist it. So point number one here, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about the bait. First, there's the bait, which is the temptation, okay? The temptation. Uh, I love the way he's... He's helping us see this because he says it's important that we understand God never tempts anyone with evil. Now, you can get a little confused on this because God does test us. Tempting into evil or sin and testing are two very different things. God will allow certain things to happen, even temptations... That are, that are out there so that we can avoid those and get stronger. But listen, God never brings temptation to sin into our lives. So don't ever get caught saying, man, you know, God's just really testing me with this, this, you know, this sinful thing that's in my life, this addiction, this behavior, this lust, or whatever I keep going to. God's just, he's really, you know, testing me and tempting me in this thing. God never tempts anyone with evil. The temptations are there because we have a, a, a mortal flesh here and because there is an enemy that's bent on destruction. Right? We know that. Paul even says in Galatians chapter 5, he says, uh, 
the spirit and the flesh, which that's our spirit and God's spirit in us, right? The spirit and then the flesh, the mortal body, are always at war and contrary to each other. You have to know that. You have to understand that. That yes, you, your spirit that's been born again in the life of Christ lives inside of you, but there's this temporary body of flesh that's still bent to sin and carnal pleasure. And Paul says you've got to know those things are constantly warring against each other. So you're at war. Will you win <laughs> those battles? Will you overcome those temptations? You see, temptation in itself is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Temptation really is the invitation to sin. It's the bait. It's the bait that's been put out for people to walk along, live their lives, smell the aroma in the air, see the thing with their eyes, and be drawn in, will you take the bait? This can look a lot of different ways with, when it comes to lust. We see a lot of things that are rampant in our day that bring destruction in people's lives, like drugs, pornography, gambling, alcohol, things that are done at such levels that people are satisfying carnal pleasures only to their own destruction and detriment. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had a strong feeling and a desire for something come over you? Like, man, I really want that thing. You see it, you hear it, you smell it, whatever, you, and you're just like, man, the flesh really wants it. How many people know what I'm talking about? That's the carnal man. That's the flesh beginning to try to pull and lead the person in a direction. It wants those things. None of us would, I would imagine every one of us could say, I know what that's like because you have a flesh. And so you would be aware of how temptation works. It pulls at you, makes you think you want something, makes you think you need something, makes you think you will be happy or pleasured if you allow yourself to have it. But Jesus says to us in John chapter 16, verse 8, He says that He gives us the Holy Spirit for one of many reasons, so that He can convict us of where sin lies. John 16, 8, He says, When He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So we rely on, we have and we rely on the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to warn us. That's bait. That's evil. That's going to lead to sin. And the Holy Spirit will. He will do that. Now unbelievers, they need a they need a witness. <laughs> Because they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. The Holy Spirit can operate externally and, and, and work, to the, work for them, come to them. But for us as believers, praise God, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And He will warn us, right, whenever there are, 
whenever, say it this way, sin is lurking at the door. God even says this in Genesis. He says, look, sin is lurking at the door and its desire is that it would rule over you. But then we get the Holy Spirit and He is there with us to lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to warn us when we're headed into harm's way. When the temptation is hovering but we've not yet taken the bait, we need to get real sensitive and tuned in to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want to caution you. That whenever the Holy Spirit is warning you and, and saying, don't go there. When we give ourselves what he's warning us against. Then it can begin to cause that voice of warning to grow faint and more distant after that. Hmm. So point number one was the bait. But point number two is the trap. So imagine this, you know. You've seen those like animal traps, right? And they got the claws that are pried open and they're spring-loaded and they got this bait there in the middle that the, the prey just can't resist. So the bait is there. It's the temptation. And it's animals coming up to it and sees it. Once it decides it has to have it, think about this. It's not until it actually puts its hands to it, claims it, gives expression to the temptation that the trap begins to close. That's what the difference that James is trying to help us see between temptation and sin. I don't know if this helps you. This really helps me. Because temptation does not make me an evil person. It's there. It's all around us. You live in it every single day. I mean, are you sure you know that? It's whenever we decide we're going to act on the temptation, that's when sin, it rolls over from temptation into sin. That's why James says, once the desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. Then once we've acted on the temptation, the claws begin to set in. And now the enemy has us in a trap, ensnared and entangled. So I want to encourage you to get real diligent and real sensitive to knowing when there's conviction, when there's temptation lurking. Because here's the worst possible thing that you can do. And I see people do this way too much. They let it hang around. Make sense? Well, you know, just... Because there's a difference when it's there and just say, well, I'm not going to give myself that right now. But you still let it, you still t- you let it have a place in your house. That's the time to run the thing out the door. <laughs> That's the time where we get vigilant and recognize this temptation... That's there. I can't let this thing hang around. If I if I entertain, it's like people people sort of they they'll coddle it. The temptation. It's almost like they're kind of leaving themselves in out. 
You know, look, I'll be, I've said this before, so this isn't some new thing, but for me, when I was a young man, I struggled a lot with lust and, and with pornography. And, and there were times where I could have got rid of the entire source of temptation. I, I could have thrown that computer away. I could have locked it out. I could have installed safeguards. I could have did a lot of different things. There were times where I could have, I should have done that, and I didn't. And it just, I walked away at times, but the thing was still there, and it still had an opportunity to come back and pull me in on another day. I mean, even to this day, I, I refuse to even watch movies where there's any kind of nudity whatsoever. I, I can't. I just, I won't. I won't even allow my eyes to see it. You know, every now and then, you know, sometimes a movie will come on, you're watching it, and it catches you off guard, and, and I'm like a little kid, like, oh, Katie, change it. You know, I'm covering my eyes, and I, because I know, I understand that if I look at that for too long, and I entertain that thought for too long, I'm playing with something that I don't want to mess around with. It's knowing the difference in temptation and leaving it around before it eventually rolls over into sin in our lives. If we can be people who, who see it in temptation form and run it out the door so it doesn't live to get us another day, then we will begin to reign over the lures and deceptions of sin in our lives. And that's the kind of people that God wants to raise up. And I want to encourage you. That's the way you can live your life. You don't have to live your life being pulled around and drug around by the clutches of sin, giving in to temptations all over the place. We can be pure and we can be holy. James says in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says that we should submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This has been one of the most explosive, powerful verses for me in my life of wielding the sword of the word of God, of, of you said the spirit through God's word, of using that in my life. Because God began to show me when that temptation is there, if I leave it around, I'm just telling you, you get weaker and weaker. The longer you leave it around, you get weaker, and it's more unlikely that you're going to be able to resist it the longer you leave it around. And James says when that temptation comes, you should submit to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. So very practically explaining this, there were, there were times when I was fighting this thing and the temptation would come. And for a while, I made the mistake of thinking it was just about willpower. I'm just going to resist. I'm just going to resist. And it works a little bit for a short time. And then eventually, it's like I would end up losing the battle. And now I'm crushed and discouraged. But I began to see this verse in James a little differently one day. Lord showed me, he says, notice the beginning of this verse. It says, submit to God. Then resist. That's interesting, isn't it? It's like there's an order happening even in the, in the grammatical structure of the sentence, the way 
the, the writer writes this, he, you can see it. It's a progressive sentence, structured grammatically that way. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. And so how that looked for me is whenever I began to feel vulnerable and I began to feel the temptation pulling at me, I would just lean into Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's amazing how when you just keep saying that name over and over and over again, something begins to shift even in the atmosphere. Jesus, 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 help me, help me, help me, Jesus. And on time and time and time again, when I would do that, it's like I could feel the evil spirit begin to move back. I could begin to feel whatever the demonic presence that was coming at me begin to fade and leave the room. Submit to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. Hmm. Praise God. It's like my strength elevated because I leaned into Jesus and he helped me resist the temptation and he ran that enemy outside the proximity of my life right there to be able to try to pull me in. Practical warfare, guys. Spiritual warfare on a practical level. Is this helping anybody today? I hope it helps you because we got to live above these things. But he says there's a temptation and then there's the trap, the bait and the trap. And I was thinking about this, you know, I love to fish. I don't know if any of you guys like to fish. I love to fish and hunt. And when you're bass fishing, you have these lures that are they're artificial, right? They're fake. And they, they look so much like the real thing. I mean, they're, they're molded in these plastics. They've got these airbrush paint jobs on them in the water, they look so realistic. But every bait has a hook or multiple hooks in it. And the idea is for the fish to be drawn into the bait so much that it does not even realize that, there is, that there's a trap there. And it's... it's it's more difficult, actually, when you're fishing in water that has less turbidity, meaning it's less cloudy, it's more clear, because then the fish is more likely to be able to detect that there's something off or artificial about this bait. You have to be even more lifelike, even more natural in colors, and even, even the line that's attached to the lure, you know, doesn't seem to stand out in cloudy water, but in a clearer water, you actually have to use even different lines. Sometimes you have to downsize the diameter of the line so it's thinner, it's less visible in the water. They even have this line now, it's called fluorocarbon, that's like transparent in the water. It's just almost like the light rays travel through it and it doesn't even see it. But I want to show you a picture. You put that picture of the lure up there on the screen. Now look at this for a second, and think about the trap, the bait. That thing looks like the real thing, but do you see the line, how obvious that is right there in that water? If we just realized <laughs> that that temptation, 
that the enemy is putting out there. That pretty, fancy, shiny, pleasurable-looking lure. If we just realize that there is a line attached to the other side of that thing, and that there are hooks that are lying underneath that thing, that the moment that fish lays onto that, the hooks set in, and then the line begins to pull that fish, and now that fish is going a direction that is opposite of where it wants to go. It's being pulled in as prey by the one who's obviously got the upper hand on them. Hmm. So when, we're, when we are being baited in temptation. The enemy is just trying to pull us in. Take it. Take it. If you take it, it'll make you feel good. It'll bring you pleasure. And the irony is, is that at the end of the day, no carnal pleasure will actually bring us lasting pleasure. It actually always leaves the person wanting more. It always leaves the person craving more. There is an initial satisfaction that it brings, but it's fade, it fades very quickly. Right? How many people know, like, when, when you sin, there is an initial temporal kind of pleasure that happens, but it lifts pretty quickly. I like the way Pastor Craig Groeschel says this. He said, if you say that you've never experienced carnal pleasure from sinning, then you're either lying or you weren't doing it right. (laughs) You weren't doing it right. There's an initial temporal pleasure that it brings. Mm. But the ultimate objective that Satan wants to do is he wants to bring destruction in our lives. And the problem is, is that when sin sets in, And we can still deal with it after it becomes sin. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But if it sets in and it stays and we can continue to repeat that pattern, now what we do is we we allow the enemy to build a stronghold in our lives and that leads to greater levels of destruction. And a person that continues to walk in willful patterns of sinfulness and disobedience the voice of God will grow more and more distant and more and more faint. It will become more and more numb to the spirit of conviction. And eventually what the enemy is trying to do, which is bring destruction into someone's life, eventually happens. It eventually leads to destruction as it continues to repeat itself. Addictions, all those types of things. They eventually destroy the body. They destroy relationships. No, nobody gets out of this. Nobody gets around this. These things do and will bring destruction in people's lives. Point number three is the destruction. And he says it this way. He says, once it happens, it's like the enemy drags the person away. Drags the person away. Now, when somebody gets drug away, right, think about how the enemy is a wolf. And when wolves get their prey, they, they pull them aside 
from the flock, from the herd. They get them off on an isolated edge, and then they begin to really have their way with them. He says, when we begin to give sin expression and we allow it to stay, here's what's really happening. The enemy is dragging us away, and he's getting us in a place where now he can begin to really bring greater levels of destruction. When people are drug away, sin continues to repeat itself in their lives, and it stays around. They begin to they begin to hide sin. They become deceitful. They do it in the shadows. They feed the craving, but they, they work very hard to make sure people aren't seeing or knowing or finding out. And they're, they're living in a place of their life in darkness. And the enemy is beginning to grow the hold that he has over them. We live out in the country a little bit uh, over here, and we have a dog and he kills everything. He kills everything. Possums, raccoons, squirrels. He killed a baby deer one time. No joke, drug it all the way up to the house. Killed a baby deer. He kills, he kills everything. He's a good protector. And I always just think when the raccoons are hanging around, you know, they're, they, they get close to the house because they smell something probably trash or food or wherever, and it's like the smell they can't resist. So they get closer, and they get closer. They're coming in. Let me see what it is. And our dog, he's just sitting there. He's just waiting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can see him over there when he's in that, that, that posture. It's like something's coming, and he's just getting ready to pounce. And then eventually they get close enough. They go after the the bait, they go after the temptation, and then boom, Xander pounces on them, you know. And then he shakes them, and he kills them, and then he just drags them all over the property for us to see it. Yeah, like, like a trophy. But I was thinking, it's like, you know, Xander might have been the one that really killed that prey. But at the end of the day, it's their nose and their desire to have what they smell that eventually led them into that destruction. And he was just there waiting. And I think it's a lot like that with the way the enemy puts things in front of us. He can't force us to sin. He cannot hijack your will. But he can lay some fancy, shiny things in front of us so much so that it pulls us in. And when we begin to give expression in it, now he's got his hooks in. Now, when that happens and we've began to give expression to sin, there is hope. Because we can, we can repent and we can ask God for forgiveness. And it's like he can just break the claws of that trap open and then free somebody from those bondages. But it's so important that we do not return to the snare that once entangled us before. Hmm. But it's almost like there's this fork in this road, right? And we're coming down this road, and here's the temptation. I see the temptation. I sense it, and I come up to it, and there's conviction setting in. Which way am I going to go? The one fork in the road is, is that I entertain the temptation. I think about it. I, 
I let it roll around in my mind. I entertain the thought. I let it hang out. Man, we cannot underestimate how significant these things are and the power this will have in our life if we let it hang around. And then all of a sudden, if I let it hang around long enough, it's a matter of time before I'm acting on it. It becomes sin, it becomes a trap, and then it becomes destruction. But the other fork in this road is I come to this place where there's temptation and I feel conviction. And in my conviction, I resist. I go to God and I resist the temptation and then the temptation flees and then I get strength and I have self-control to be able to resist this thing as it's coming at me. It's like there's a fork in the road when it comes to us in that temptation form and we have to decide which way we're going to go. Hmm. Titus chapter 3 verse 3 He says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You know, it's like he's saying, when we become filled with the Spirit of God and we begin to walk in a life of obedience and we begin to run sin out of our lives, we're going to look around and we're going to see a world that's still caught in it, that's still entangled in it. And he's, it's like he's saying, don't forget where you came from. <laughs> don't forget where you once were. And now it's up to us to be able to extend hope and to be able to offer that solution, to be able to deter others from walking into the traps that sin can bring to them in their lives. Forgiveness is available if people want it. Amen? And so I'll close with this question. Is there a temptation in your life right now that has possibly gained power over you? I'd like to say to the young people out here today, man, I hope you get ahead of this one. Because the enemy is going to try to knock you off with this so much. Is there a temptation in your life that has gained power over you? If so, are you willing to confess it? Are you willing to repent of it? Are you willing to ask God for forgiveness? And are you willing to share that with someone else? Someone you trust, someone you can confide in, but who can walk with you and encourage you and help you and hold you accountable as you continue to navigate this path of freedom that God has for you. Hallelujah. None of us are without sin. Wherever you're at, wherever you come from, if you're dealing with something, none of us are without sin. I want to encourage you, you're not alone. This doesn't mean that you should be shamed and that you should be disgraced. It means that God may be exposing something. I'm thankful when God exposes it because it's like he's giving us an opportunity to get power and strength over it, right? Sometimes people get real anxious and nervous when something starts to come into the light. And they can run hard to try to bury it more in the darkness or they can let God begin to bring that thing into the light so they can find freedom over that. Hallelujah. So is there something in your life that has gained power over you and do you want to be free from